Please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We'll finish up this chapter today. Acts chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 26 of that chapter. Before we do, we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with the text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to today's text from Your Word, we recognize it to be unfailing, to be inerrant, to be authoritative. Um, We recognize our own words many times to be the very opposite. And so, Lord, we pray that you would convict us of our sin, where we would twist your word and seek our own gain. We pray that you would convict our hearts Show us the truth of your word. Lead us in that truth. Teach us from your word what we should know concerning you, how we ought to live. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you know, the Olympics started this week. Um, We watched some of the opening ceremonies the other night at my house. Well, it was on. I was playing board game. Um, But I did like look up a few times. And notice what was going on. Um, I don't really watch a whole lot of the Olympics, um, honestly. I do get into some of the sports, especially in the winter, or some of the slower sports like curling, you know, where they like throw the rock down the, the ice and brush the ice. That's fascinating to me. But I do appreciate at least the, uh, the artistry, the mastery of what they are doing. It's incredible to me. Uh, the downhill skiing and the figure skating and all that's, it's just amazing that they have that sort of skill and something that very specific. And so as I always do with any kind of sporting event or any kind of anything really, I always imagine if I was being called up and they called me and they said, quick, we need a replacement and you're it. I mean, I'm not the only one I know that, I know I'm not the only one that imagines those things. Maybe you do too. Or maybe I'm just odd. But I had this imagined imagination that I was being called up to, to be the a figure skating replacement. Um, now, I've dreamed this many times that the St. Louis Cardinals would call me up and ask me to come play baseball or, or something like that. That would be really cool. But figure skating, you know, if I was called to do that, it would be one of the most disgusting displays of athleticism ever seen by human eyes. I'm not even sure that I could skate out to the middle of the the ice place, whatever it's called, without falling down. Even if I practiced for a whole year, I would still be very limited in that. Very. Those athletes practice for years on end, years, hours a day, just for the chance to perhaps be seen and it could be considered as the top of their country, not much less to go and compete against the whole world. They're very good at what they do. And so in our text today, the disciples have this task in front of them. We talked a little bit about this last week. They've been called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ throughout the world. They've been asked to preach the message of the gospel to make disciples, to baptize them into the fellowship of the church. Why would Jesus 
call up a bunch of amateurs to do something like this? Well, think about it. Were they really amateurs? They had been with Jesus for three years. They had learned a thing or two, even despite themselves. And so in this passage today, we're going to see how they act when it comes to dealing with the loss of their Savior. Not only that, but coming finally to grips with the loss of their 12th member, Judas, as Todd read from from Matthew, the passage this morning. Remember, Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then killed himself in shame, as we heard this morning. That story is going to come up in this text today. We're going to see how the disciples deal with that. Most importantly for us, we're going to need, we need to see our situation as similar to that of the disciples. We're not apostles, but we have been tasked with the same things that they have been, to be witnesses of Jesus, to go and make disciples. Their lead and their example in this message will be helpful for us in figuring out how we are to be prepared and to be preparing for that task. And so we'll look at this, the two main ideas, prayer as preparation, and then lastly, prayer as application. And so with that, let me read the text for us. Please stand as we read from God's Word in the honor of that reading. Acts chapter 1, verses 1, or verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room and where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about a 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and there, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the times the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John, the baptism of John until the day that he was taken back up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward too Joseph called Barsabbath, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us one of these two you have chosen to take place in the ministry of apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, 
and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So Todd read from for us from Matthew 27, and so I won't read that again, but I will comment on that as a bit of a background to the story because I think it's necessary for us to kind of get what's going on with the disciples at this point. Judas is a very sad story in Scripture, but we know that it was all part of God's plan that Judas would do what he did. It doesn't make it, an, that's not an easy truth for us to swallow, but it doesn't make it an untruth nonetheless. I think it's important for us to understand the strain, the difficulty that must have been on the apostles during this time. They've just lost two friends, Jesus and Judas, opposite ends of the spectrum. Judas, as it turns out, wasn't a friend at all. Jesus was dead, now is alive is no longer with them because he went to be with the Father. So they're no longer mourning him as a loss, but they're missing him. It would have been tough. For Judas, they were betrayed by him. Then he killed himself. No hope for redemption. No hope for any kind of reconciliation. This would be hard for anyone to recover from. You mean, really, on this earth, we never recover from that sort of betrayal, from that sort of regret. And it makes me think of the many quotes that talk about how people, when they're under pressure, somehow do their best work. And we see that with the disciples. So I think of the church today and how the church, even our church, Redeemer Community, how much pressure and tension do we feel when it comes to some of the difficulties of this earth and what really lies at the base of those difficulties, not the pressure to do well as Christians and be good Christians, but the pressure and tension of a lost and dying world. Does it stir us up to action? Does it stir us to preparation? Does the idea of people dying and going to hell stir us at all? As we continue to look through this book, my hope is that we are stirred to action by what we hear so that Christ may be glorified. That brings us to the first point, prayer as a preparation. So the the, uh, text tells us that they returned to Jerusalem, likely to someone's house, wherever they were staying there, in an upper room. The text tells us it was a Sabbath day's journey. This means a very short journey. Remember, they didn't travel very far on the Sabbath, so it would have been a very, very short distance, not even a mile probably. When they were given... Then we're given this list of the 11 remaining disciples and then some others that were with them. And it's a list, and it just tells us the women that were with them, including Mary and the brothers of Jesus. I think one thing that's interesting about Luke's books is the role of women is featured very prominently as to how they assisted in the ministry and the role that they did. And as we read through the book of Acts, we'll see that again and again and again the role that they played. Anyone who can read the Bible and say that Christians hate women or the Bible is anti-women is nuts. And it's obvious from the gospel writers that the role of women was vital to the early church. And in many ways, they were doing many of the same things that the men were doing. A lot. We know that the offices that we've taught about before, the office of elder and deacon are reserved for men, but that doesn't mean that women weren't serving alongside the men 
in a very invaluable capacity. We're going to see that as we continue through Acts. I thought it necessary to bring that out. This is the last mention of Mary, the mother of Jesus as well. She simply falls in with the rest of the church, followed the teaching of the apostles, which is the teaching of her son, Jesus Christ. There's no reason to give her any more significance than the scriptures do. She would not have wanted that. She likely was a source for the men that wrote these stories. She didn't want to be featured at all. And so what I want us to notice here is how they prepare for the coming Holy Spirit. What did they do? Verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoted, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They devoted themselves to prayer. What were they praying? They were in this upper room, waiting expectantly for the arrival of the Spirit. The word here, praying continually, denotes persisting. And in persisting with patience, not like a, um, a complaining kind of persistence, but a, an expecting kind of persistence with patience. We talked about this idea of waiting last week with the, the apostles. And here they're waiting expectantly. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says this, God will be inquired of for promised mercies. And the nearer the performance seems to be, the more earnest we should be in prayer for it. The fact that, we're, the fact that they were praying doesn't show a lack of faith. They weren't praying for the Spirit to come because they didn't think it was going to happen. It shows the exact opposite. They were praying knowing full well that God had every intention of keeping his promise. They were praying expectantly with full faith. So what about us? Do we do this? What are we praying for? I think these are good questions for us to ask. What promises of God are we hoping for and are we praying for? Turn with me to Matthew 16. As you could expect, we will be referencing the Gospels quite a bit as we go through Acts because these men, of course, learn from the Master himself. And so Matthew 16, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18, a very important section of scripture but this is i want us to pay attention here to the promise that jesus makes concerning his church there in the presence of his disciples matthew 16 starting at verse 13 now when jesus came into the district of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples what do the people say that the son of man is and they said some say john the baptist others say elijah others jeremiah or one of the prophets He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what did Jesus say here? On this rock, I will build my church. What rock is he talking about? Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That rock. What did Jesus say that he was going to do? Build his church. What was his promise? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I know that we believe this. We believe this. But are we praying for it? Do we pray for it as much as we pray for other things in our lives? How much do we care about the building of the church? Again, don't hear me saying that personal needs aren't important because I'm not saying that at all. We definitely should be praying for those. But what I'm trying to stress is the importance of prayer in general. Recently, a friend told me, this was just the other night, actually, the night of the Olympic ceremony, told me about um, his spiritual life was really enhanced through prayer recently, about a year ago. Uh, we were praying for a friend, a friend of ours, a common friend, and his, his wife, specifically, and the baby that they were having. And there was a small chance of survival for both mother and baby. And my friend said that more than any time in his life, he felt this need to pray, to pray earnestly, and to pray a lot. And he said he prayed more, more for that than he's prayed for anything. And because of that prayer, his relationship with Christ was increased. Now, did he pray expecting the mother and baby to live? I don't, I don't think. I think he prayed because he knew that there was one who could do that and was capable of that. He was praying to that one. The mother and baby did live, thankfully. And it was through that act of faith that many, many were increased. Their faith, their relationships with the Lord because of all the prayer that went out there. And here's the thing. It wasn't because they lived that their faith was increased. We don't need to see prayer as the only time that it's actually good is when it works or when it works. It always works. It always does what it accomplishes to do because we are speaking regularly with Jesus Christ. What did Peter say? The son of the living God. That's who we are talking to. How often are we speaking to him? What are we speaking to him about? That's the question. There isn't a magic number times and hours and you'll never hear me tell stories about how long I've prayed and how often I've prayed. I think all of that is just silly. It's not something to brag about. It's definitely not something to count yourself as righteous with because we know what your your righteousness accounts for. But if we believe in the promises of God for the church, then we should be praying for them. All the more as the day of the Lord approaches and it does. It's been very convicting for me personally this week. I tend to be someone who trusts in the promises of God, at least the big ideas of Scripture. I know that he will increase his church. I know that he will use the plain means of grace to do that. You've all heard me say that. But admittedly, I don't pray expectantly for those things. 
just simply expect it. And I want you to note the danger in that sin, in my sin. Just because we know that the Lord will do something, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be praying for it all the more. It will change the way that we do things, brothers and sisters, when we are on our knees praying. It will change us. That brings us to the second point, the prayer as application. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter stood up and proclaimed that Judas needs to be replaced. Now, we know that Judas hung himself. Here we're told that he fell headlong into the field and his body broke open somehow. Probably reading here about how he finally fell after being hung for so long his decomposed body broke open if you look at all the stigma around this field and around judas you know no one probably went out there to see him and so at some point he probably just fell out of the tree it's a very graphic picture of the consequences of sin but peter quotes scripture he quotes specifically psalm 69 25 and from psalm 109 Both are psalms that feature David praying bad things against his enemies. That's another thing for another day. (laughs) But nonetheless, Peter is quoting the scriptures with regard to this issue. And note Luke's description of the psalms. How did he describe them? How did he introduce them? That the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Of course, David was praying against his enemies, the ones that he knew. But these verses are prophecies that represent the Lord's enemies. Our Lord, Savior, Jesus, his enemy, Judas. What should this do for us? Well, this should further entrench us in the idea that David was just a type of the coming Lord that was to come. David sat on the throne of Israel. Yes, he did. But there would be one that would come later in his line that would sit on the throne for all ages and ages to come. Peter knew that. Luke knew that. And it's here for us today. And so what did they do in order to replace Judas? It says they cast lots. Don't really know what that is. Probably something similar to throwing dice. And the lot fell to Matthias who would become the 12th apostle. And that's it that we hear about Matthias. The scriptures don't tell us any more about him. Uh, History records that he died in Jerusalem at the hands of the high priest for refusing to deny Christ. He died from stoning. And then he was beheaded even after he was dead. Typical treatment for the Christians in those days. Should this cause us a problem? Not that Matthias was killed. That was normal for the apostles. But that rolling dice was some good way to choose this 12th apostle. Very important role, right? Well, first of all, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot, the die, the dice are cast into the lap, 
But the dice, it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord controls every single movement of that thing. I think more than anything, Peter and the other apostles knew that there was no such thing as random. And for whatever reason, they chose this method. But look what they did. Verse 24, they prayed over it. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these that you have chosen. So they pray, they cast lots, and the Lord made his choice. It wasn't random at all. I think this is helpful for us as we consider how we do ministry as well. We need to understand that the Lord will bless his church. I'm not comparing at all what we do to casting lots, but we in no way need to consider the work of the Lord as guesswork or random. He purposes everything that we do for his great work. He uses our efforts, as meager as they are, to do his work of redemption. He could simply just make it all happen, right? Did Jesus really need those men and women there to be his witnesses in all the earth? No. Does he need us to be his ambassadors today of the gospel? No. But he chooses the means in order to bring about his will, his ends. One of those means, of course, is prayer. The apostles rolling dice to pick a new disciple really showed their faith in the Lord to choose the right one for them. When we preach the gospel, when we have conversations about Jesus with our friends and our family, when we pray for the church's growth and for the kingdom of God to be spread, we do so expectantly. We know that he will use his people to see these things come about. Our lack of faith, our desperate reliance on the means, rather than on God, shows us our need for him and for Jesus. It shows us our need for prayer, for the gospel. Very much like the Olympic athletes, we can't simply rely or simply expect to go out and do our best without any sort of preparation. It would be like me figure skating. Try not to have that picture. We need to be together. We need to be in prayer so that we'll be able to withstand the enemy, so that we'll be able to deal with the difficulties that are inherent to gospel ministry. Gospel ministry, if it's easy, it's not gospel ministry. And we need preparation in order to do that. And so in conclusion, remember none of this is possible without the hope that we have. And that hope is that none of this is possible without the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He died to make redemption possible. And his resurrection from the dead gives us hope for new life. And it is that new life, brothers and sisters, that we bear witness to. So let us be people of prayer. Let us be ones who pray expectantly. Pray knowing that he is going to fulfill his promises. But pray anyway. Because we want to be closer to him. All the more praying as we see the day of the Lord coming. Let's pray.
Our Lord Jesus, I'll speak for myself. I am guilty of oftentimes sitting and waiting. I don't pray like I should. And it's not because I don't expect your promises. It's just because I, I don't know. And so, Lord, help. We want to be people who, like the apostles, like those men and women in that upper room, are devoted to prayer. People who are devoted to see your promises coming about in this dead and dying world. For our friends and our family, for this community, and even to the whole world. Lord, we know that there is a desperate need for truth. We want to be a part of that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grow your church. We know your promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so, Lord, we pray right now, even now, for Redeemer Community Church, that you would bless us, that you would bless our work, that it would be fruitful, that we would see many people come to know the truth of the gospel, that many people would confess our Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would be saved, that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.